Are you ready to begin? I am. Hello. Welcome to Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season, we'll have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. And we are two girls. Too sad. <laughs> Let's jump into the syllabus. Hello, <laughs> Bethany. Hi, Mary. Um, more priests. <laughs> more priests today. Priests every day. <laughs> priests every day for the month of December. Um, and not just priests. I keep thinking... I keep saying it. I mean, I guess our titles are all <laughs> about priests, but this is m more about religion and <laughs> religiosity. It's just fun to focus it on the priest. the priest. What better archetype? Truly, like they are royal. They mm -hmm. are spiritual. Yeah, such a powerful, powerful archetype priests are. And today... We're talking about guilty priests and more specifically guilt and guilt in the media, the weaponization of guilt by for 2000 years by the church. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all of the emotional manipulation. That's also a very sad girl oh, yeah. topic, I guess, because... <laughs> No one is more sad than uh, Catholic women. <laughs> I don't know. That's a big claim. I I don't That's actually true. fully believe that. We're testing it out this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I. Uh, what happens after a priest does bad things? He feels guilty about it. Mm -hmm. And and Christianity and specifically the Catholic Church in particular has a really good um, workaround for that. And it's this whole uh, philosophy of forgiveness, reconciliation, confession. Oh, yeah. There's a whole thing. There, there's a whole mechanism uh, for dealing with guilt. And, and specifically, like, I don't know, I feel like forcing you to feel this, like, emotional manipulation, forcing you to feel guilt... Mm -hmm. Right. So that then you like return to the church. Yeah. So in Catholicism in particular, very stressed as original sin. So you were born guilty. Oh, yeah. Um, and then through the church and the sacraments, you gain forgiveness, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you're cursed to begin with. <laughs> and you should feel terrible about it. <laughs> but <laughs> And you should pay them money to get into heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit of that. And maybe that'll make some of your guilt go away. If you just give a little bit every week. Oh, as a treat. <laughs> as a treat. <laughs> <laughs> For the church. Yeah, that was a major, like, was it, was it Martin Luther? Mm -hmm. Was it in one of those, like, 95 theses that Martin Luther in his argument against the Catholic Church during the Reformation, at the start of the Reformation, I guess, he uh, says, hey, man, what the fuck? Why do we have to pay indulgences right. to get into, 
to get into heaven. And that's how the, how the Vatican amassed its wealth, I guess. Mm-hmm. People were paying tons and tons of money. Yeah, that and wars. <laughs> right. And the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> but lucky, but again, lucky for the Catholic Church, they have this whole system to absolve them of all sin, of killing people for war in war. And yeah. Right. It's, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Manipulation of, you should feel bad all the time, but the only way we're ever going to forget, like, but here's your only mechanism of forgiveness and for resolution to that bad feeling, but also we're still going to make you feel bad constantly. (laughs) Constantly. And you have to, and you have to go to, you have to go see a priest. Right. Right. Like you, you can't, there is absolutely no way to get out of this original sin except by going to a priest. And it's funny um, that, you know, well, so generation after generation for thousands of years, um, you have, yeah, like ways that the church is, is using this. And now in a time of mass media, there's this like enormous, um, there's this enormous media performativity of guilt, which is something that I know that you had wanted to talk about. Yeah. And focus on. Yeah, I feel like um, any, I mean, this is again a a huge statement, but almost every (laughs) director, writer, creator of some kind um, who has a known Catholic background, I feel like deals in guilt. And I I don't know if that is always um, intentional, but it definitely comes across and obviously it's picked apart. I do think that is an ingrainment, very a very much a stereotype of Catholic guilt. Um, but there's, you know, incredible works that are just centered around this very Catholic notion. I would say a Catholic type of guilt, um, even when yeah. the works themselves aren't necessarily Catholic, which is kind of incredible. But um, obviously, my boy Marty. Yeah is uh number one <laughs> scorsese's work even again when it's not centered around like a, a catholic group um like obviously yeah. he has made works about the catholic church like silence um but and also about jesus <laughs> so <laughs> i've actually never seen silence i i see your notes Sil- mean streets also scorsese yeah. Yeah, that's a much earlier. I've never seen either of those. Yeah, so Mean Streets is not about the Catholic Church, but you do have Catholic characters in there. Um, Mm -hmm. Harvey Keitel's character uh, has a long, like, really incredible monologue about um, penance and what he feels he needs to do for penance. So usually in Mm -hmm. confession, a priest will give you, um, to do penance, he'll give you usually it's just a number of prayers and then occasionally be like go say sorry to that person or you know like do this thing but usually it's like you know say three Hail Marys say an Our Father and a Glory Be and in Mean Streets Harvey Keitel has this like incredible speech in a church of like well that means nothing to me you know I want to do something physical I want to do something real I want to pay penance my way my way so obviously you have a very literal so he's very <laughs> literal talking about guilt but then even his movies like Age of Innocence where that has nothing to do with mm, yeah. them, it does still feel like that people are buried under layers of 
of guilt and along with mm -hmm. guilt uh, under what they're supposed to be doing and, and the rules of the society they live in. Um, mm. So yeah, I would say like basically every movie he makes, even when it has nothing to do with Catholicism or people who are Catholic, um, has this like huge notion of guilt. And Marty himself mm. uh, was going to seminary school uh, as a teen Got kicked out at 15, though. <laughs> Being a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so young. So young. I mean, and it's it's sort of like, obviously, like, teenagers are going to act out. I mean, that's like par for the course. Right. Yeah, I think it was like he was, he was made too many jokes. He was too unruly, da-da-da-da-da. But... I don't know. I feel like everyone I've ever known who, who went to seminary school or something like it for half a year and then dropped out is still very, uh, <laughs> that affects you. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's such a, I mean, it's, it's, there, there is such a, uh, you act on obligation. You only do things out of obligation and, um, and you're also acting as as though you have the self-discipline because you know that people are watching you. People are waiting to punish you. Um, and in a lot of ways, I feel, I mean, like discipline and punish, <laughs> the Foucault text. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's talking about society as a whole, but it's a very, that's a very Christianized yeah. society for sure. Like, I mean, I feel as though... I feel like in other monotheistic religions, there are, um, there's a, there's a fear of God in, in Judaism and in, in Islam, but such a, uh, intense like scrutiny and, and like the fear of God comes with this, like this notion that God is always watching you. That yeah. is very significantly Christian and, um, and it really acts as a policing like a behavior policing right mechanism there it's <laughs> i actually don't know really how to feel about it because there is like god is always watching and is always involved um notion and that honestly it might even involved involved that's to me is like so peculiar yeah. because and this could be actually a particular brand of united states christianity um mm. of this like you know well God will do, God will step in, or it's God's will, or da da da. da. So it's like the, it's kind of this twofold. It's like God is always watching you doing these bad things, but at the same time, you kind of get off on all of your actions because, like, God meant this to be. You know, like all the course mm -hmm. of your life, God has has um sort of predestined, right? Like any bad mm -hmm. thing that happens to you, or perhaps happens because of something you did, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is is God's will, right? And yeah. that's to me a very weird way of looking at the world, but it also allows you yeah. to whatever you want. So that is like, it's both, you get really guilty because God's watching you all the time and then you're forgiven <laughs> because, you know, that's God's plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is It is really bizarre. That jogged my memory of... Um, in my, in my decades of Catholic school, it reminded me of when I was, I think, um, 
when Hurricane Katrina happened, I was in like sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. And, and my religion teacher, oh my, my religion teacher fully like blamed. I mean, and I went to a Catholic school. Like this is a very, I feel like her view is very like Christian, mm-hmm. like non-denominational Christian, right. but she was, yeah. Um, but she was allegedly Catholic. Uh, <laughs> she said that New Orleans got hit because it's a city full of sin. And, you know, ostensibly that's like a racist dig at like, especially at like Cajun voodoo culture. She talked about that. She talked about like sex parlors in New Orleans. And she was just like, it's no wonder that that city is the one that got punished. What? (laughs) It was, it was horrendous. And yeah. And that, and that is so pervasive. That mm-hmm. thought process is so pervasive. And so it's, um, how, how are you not going to live your life thinking like when you're a 12 year old, 13 year old kid listening to that, yeah. how are you not going to live your life as though someone is always watching you and thinking that anything that you do, like you'll be punished mm-hmm. for and you have to seek forgiveness. It's, um, but then, but then, as you say, there's always a way to get off to sort of like get off the hook, and that's also probably why um I mean that's why there's so much like crime organized crime in Catholic families, <laughs> you know there's like iconic scenes of like members of the mafia going to confession we're back to Marty um <laughs> well, exactly. yeah, confession especially it is like okay, I yeah. did the bad thing, and now I have to go pay penance but I'm still gonna you know be living this life um (laughs) and I do think I was thinking about all of these movies there's so many movies in which a confession scene is used as like a plot device to move the story along so that you can have some exposition uh, and some interior like character motivation be just literally spelled out like he's (laughs) confessing it all to you yeah, yeah, and it's like it's and so this, funny. It it is, and it's it's funny that there's like, because there's protection, right? Like the priests can't say anything mm-hmm. unless it's uh, it's it's like therapy. It's like unless there's grave danger posed to yourself or to someone else, they can't say it. So like you can, so if you've already committed the crime, <laughs> I guess just go for <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, but I don't know what kind of penance, um, the mafia gets. I don't know. I watched the Sopranos and (laughs) (laughs) he's having anxiety attacks that entire show. So (laughs) I guess that's part of it. (laughs) Did you ever, when you were, um, in school and did your, did your school one, did your school make you go to reconciliation? Oh, like every week or something. No, we only went occasionally. Yeah, we didn't go that much. Yeah, yeah, same with us. And I wonder if that's because we didn't have priests. We just we had nuns on campus, but oh, um, maybe so. Yeah, we. I mean, my yeah, my middle school and high school both had we had priests on hand, and we had mass every single week. Wow. But but confession was only like twice a semester. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like. Um, we had, like once a year and it masked maybe once a month if that wow it was really kind of odd actually (laughs) but in some ways potentially 
as I say this year, I could have blocked a lot of it out because I do think I blocked <laughs> a lot of high school out. Just like large parts of just blackness when I think back to it. <laughs> Let's face it, we were all dissociating during high school. That's another like trademark sad girl uh, <laughs> thing. I was not there. I was just nowhere, I guess. <laughs> just floating. Just yeah. Floating. <laughs> yeah. Well, because what I was going to ask is, that, is if they ever gave you um, penance that was like something other than, say, 10 Hail Marys or something. Because that's, that's all we ever got. I, I think. I'm trying to think, but no. I, yeah. I think I got yeah, just that's... like a, a say you're sorry to your parents or about lying or something like that. Interesting. Or getting mad at them. Interesting. But I also most of the time was too nervous to really confess myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I I think occasionally I lied in confession. <laughs> so meta that is so meta that's really funny but actually I think I did that too I think a lot of people did I know like it's just like well and and it's so insane to be like okay go up and confess your sins and like all the things that make you bad and so it's just like um I didn't do my homework like it's all these things like I would be going through my head waiting in line and I'd be like what did I do that's like really bad like yeah and I'm sure I did bad thing. I mean, we all do bad. I don't know. It, it's so weird. It's such a weird. Yeah. Oh my god. I just remember because we didn't also go all that often. I feel like you, my, yeah. you know, my parents would have us go occasionally before like Christmas or usually before Easter, right? Uh, during Lent. Um. So we went maybe twice a year. I feel like. And uh, oh, yeah, shit, Lent. Yeah, Lent. That's all about guilt. <laughs> Jesus. Season of guilt. Just uh, disrupted you. <laughs> oh shit! Flat. <laughs> uh, but I, it was a very, it was a huge chore to figure out what you've done from the last time you went <laughs> to now. So I just like would think about the week that happened before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever, ever gone to confession outside of like a sanctioned time yeah like and even at St. Mary's um college when I was in college like there wouldn't be a lot of availability for confession it was it was so weird it was like priests were like always down to consecrate the Eucharist yeah but they were rarely down to hear sins (laughs) they (laughs) didn't want to know keep it to yourself (laughs) please (laughs) um but I guess it's sort of like uh, that. I I have a, I don't know. This is a total speculation, but I really do like like I mean the priests, the kind of priests who were in, at my college, for example. Like I really do wonder if they had any conflicting feelings of guilt themselves yeah. when like all of this um, the the sexual abuse scandal, mm-hmm. like in the I mean it would that scandal was pretty much breaking since like the 90s i mean it's been a in in a part of the news cycle for the last like 20 years and i just sort of wonder if a lot of priests 
ever felt guilty themselves to be like, who am I to like absolve sins? And yet I'm like participating in this institution that is hugely covering things up because, because ostensibly too, um, the, those priests, I mean, it, like the sexual abuse scandal was a huge cover up and those priests were probably like being forgiven by other priests. Well, yeah, that, that definitely happened. Like there were so many that happened in the seventies, which other yeah. priests knew about their superiors found out about and, yeah, they just moved around under the skies that they were, you know, being forgiven and mm-hmm. somehow being monitored or like some sort of yeah, like the, if they moved them around and forgave them, and then it would all go away. Yeah, yeah. Instead of any kind of like real consequences or even like rehabilitation, invitation to leave the priesthood, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry. Um. <laughs> I just uh, the yeah the guilt um, that should be I guess that that you feel that people should yeah. have in the Catholic Church certain priests in the Catholic Church yeah often not there yeah. and it it's kind of incredible um, yeah. Yeah, and then and then the forgiveness that should be handed out to other people mm-hmm. is withheld. Right. Right. And um right now, yeah. Um the currently as we're recording, uh like this week, uh the US bishops are putting forward a document. I you know they all have different names. I don't remember what this one's <laughs> called. A certain type of document that about um the Eucharist. And a lot of, um, because, well, most Catholics don't know about transubstantiation. (laughs) So they they want to enliven the Eucharist, but most of this conversation and this conference and this document came about because a lot of U.S. bishops wanted to reject people from getting the Eucharist, wanted Mm. to um, turn people away specifically Mm. people who are like political but say they're catholic so biden Mm. um so any Mm. basically democrat catholic or pro-abortion catholic Uh, pro yeah it's just because of abortion um yeah and so there was yeah this like large movement to be able to deny the eucharist to people um and that's still sort of like what if you're registered a democrat i I don't know i think it's like largely (laughs) a show again a performance yeah to these yeah. particular figures of like well Biden says he's Catholic and I say he's not you know like yeah and he doesn't yeah. get the Eucharist uh <laughs> but doesn't get saved there is like a little asterisk in this document they took that out because they're like oh the mm. communion's about unification not about division right <laughs> yeah um and now there's an asterisk that it's like if someone who has a essentially an influential role in which they are constantly and always going against the teachings of the church in that influential role you can you know like they can be basically reprimanded by refusing 
refusing on the Eucharist. Oh you God. don't. Yeah, it's not. And so it's not as straightforward as that, but that is essentially what yeah. that little footnote is. Huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's all about. Well, it's all about the emotional manipulation. It's all about making you feel sad. Yeah. But and being a sad girl is a choice right. and not. <laughs> the sad, not a choice. <laughs> not everybody's made for it, okay? Um, <laughs> I also, with the performance of guilt. Um, and yeah, the, this manipulation, I can't. Did you go on Kairos? Did we talk? Have we ever talked about Kairos? Oh my God, we have not talked about Kairos. <laughs> is this the episode where we're going to talk about all the Jesus camps? <laughs> I guess it is. Because I do think, <laughs> I do think that's such a huge portion of those is to make you, it, it, yeah, it is just completely yes. emotionally wiped out. So all you're doing yeah, is absolutely. crying. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Kairos is the, for the listeners, Kairos is the specifically the Catholic version of Jesus camp. Jesus camp in all the big like Christian arenas, all the kids are crying and it's basically all the same, but Kairos is, Kairos is a Greek term, I think. Yeah. And, um, it's like crossroads, I think is what it means. I I had, I just accessed something so deep in my brain that I, I do not, I have no idea. I just, I feel like I know that that's what it means, but I'll look it up. Uh, but Kairos is a, (laughs) it's a, it's a retreat for high school youth ministry kids. Yeah. Our whole high school had to go on it. Like our whole, our whole class, every senior class had to do it. I mean, we were small, so it's like a hundred people. Um, and I remember one girl I knew, before I went on, before I was on it, um, want, didn't <laughs> right, want to I'm go, sorry. didn't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And Continue. she, uh, got lectured and bullied into going by the staff and the teachers. Oh my God. Of like, you'll, you won't find out who you are. And she's like, well, if this two day long retreat <laughs> at, 18 years old is going to tell me who I am. Like, maybe I don't want to find out. Like, <laughs> did she, did she have to, did she like stand up and not go, go or actually, but Jeez. even when I went to college, um, which was much more like youth ministry, it was volunteered. And I was like, I'm never doing one of those things again. By the time I was a senior, um, I had many people who uh, who I really like who were like you're not gonna do it and that's so much and I'm like I'm sure it did but um yeah but get off my back yeah let me let me retreat by myself okay I'm (laughs) sorry I'm sorry I interrupted you what were you gonna say um oh it literally does not it does not mean crossroads (laughs) I am dumb it means right time what or the right season stupid I, like I guess because the way that it's the way that it's spelled I think I was thinking of the Greek letter C-H-I mm-hmm. which is X but no right time anyway uh, <laughs> that was dumb <laughs> I just I can't I sometimes in the middle of the night when I can't sleep I will oh, no. have this 
overwhelming feeling of like shame and embarrassment at the stuff I said at Kairos <laughs> and admitted to people. <laughs> and it just like overtakes me. And that's what I feel guilty about is, is going through with it. At the time, I felt guilty for all of these things that I had done and how I had acted as like a 17-year-old. No. I can like feel my face heating up just thinking about it. So embarrassing. And they and they forced you into that. They made you. They made you do that. Right. Um. Because act that way, behave yeah. that way. I don't know how yours was set up, but ours was like you had leaders who had been on it and they had been chosen usually like the year before or there were several times people would go so they would go in the fall and so they had already been on Kyra so they were like your student leaders and to be honest it felt like most of them were chosen because they had had some sort of hardship in their life yeah um yeah so that they could tell that story yeah Um, and then you were also like I don't know you were made to feel guilty if you didn't really become really really vulnerable with everyone else and then share your story and then the whole time you were like not sleeping because it's like a giant slumber party basically and you're like hanging out with your friends and all all you're doing you don't want to sleep right and all you're doing is eating candy and drinking coke and drinking Yeah. yeah and so you're just like like crashing and crashing yeah and cra- yeah, yeah. And, and that's basically the blueprint of all of them the yeah. jesus camps um i actually never went on a kairos um i uh i don't think it was offered in my um in in new mexico in all of new mexico. I, I mean well yeah i mean we have so like there's the archdiocese of Santa Fe. I'm not sure if there are other archdioceses like in the in the further north or in the okay. south, like near Las Cruces. I'm not sure, um, but there was only one Catholic school in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. the one that I went to, and then there's one Catholic school in Santa Fe, um, and those are the only Catholic schools that I know about. I'm sure there are uh, high schools. I'm sure there are others <laughs> that I that are much smaller, but like we just didn't have the population of kids to go yeah. on a Kairos retreat. But um, I, of course, knew a lot about Kairos because when I went to college, I was a youth minister for Notre Dame Vision. Notre Dame Vision. (laughs) (laughs) And like, and all of those kids, like, they, like, all the kids who do Notre Dame Vision, all of the ones who, Notre Dame Vision is like the summer version of the Kairos retreat. (laughs) And it's like, it's like super Kairos because everybody... All those kids, like, they're like, well, when I did Kairos in the spring with my school, and, you know, it's all, like, a convergence, and it's, um, yeah. but it's it's the same thing, and, like, you, these, like, to be a, a mentor in faith, like, to be, mm-hmm. the, the, as the college student, that's, like, your title, like, you're invited to tell your witness talks, right. and you talk about things, bad things that have happened to you, um, and... Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and there's like a whole, that one of the nights is specifically dedicated to forgiveness and reconciliation and you have this and it's, and it's 
happens really late at night too. I mean, not super late, but like reconciliation can go on forever, especially because like there's a whole thing about like you listen to a witness talk and you hear about like some person's like, I feel, I, I don't know. Like I remember one time, like a kid told a, give a witness talk about like a porn addiction or something. <laughs> Sorry. And like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't expect that. Okay. And like, and so he, he tells that whole story and then you see this like, oh my God. Oh, I, I feel kind of bad for like bashing this, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, guilt. Damn. Um, they would show even, uh, the scene from Les Mis, um, when Jean Valjean burglars the priest or the Monsignor and, uh, and then, and then the Monsignor forgives him, essentially. Like, Javert, his parole officer, is like, you stole silver candlesticks from the Monsignor. And the Monsignor's like, no, he's with me. And then there's a whole thing where Jean Valjean is like, what? And then the Monsignor is like, I forgive you. This is me forgiving you. Now go live your life. And then Jean Valjean becomes a successful person, albeit still a fugitive. But anyway. And then the whole, the whole like, forgiveness arc for Javert is like a whole other subplot of Les Miserables. Anyway... Yeah. So we watched that scene and then, and this is like after dinner. So this is like, you hear the witness talk at about 6.30 PM. You're watching the Lemas scene at around seven. And then at 7.30, everybody goes, they're like, you don't have to go to confession, but think about how beautiful forgiveness is. And so then they send everybody, everybody shuffles on over to the fucking Basilica, which is this like, grand, like, how are you not? How are you not manip manipulated by that, you yeah. know? Like, I mean, the Basilica is, like, genuinely this, like, beautiful, uh, it's, it's like, an artistic masterpiece, especially, like, in the Midwest. Like, it's this, like, insanely beautiful piece of architecture, French Gothic revival. And how are you not going to be swept away by that? And, and it's part of this, like, manipulation thing. And, you know, I think that, um, I, I think that there is the concept of mercy and forgiveness is of philosophically. I think that it is objectively like beautiful and radical and loving and this whole idea. And I think that there are moments of like these like flashes of deep insight. Like when John Paul II, who was the Pope in the nineties, um, he, in the, the last part of the 20th century, he got assassinated while he was on tour Attempted. And, um, but he attempted, yeah, he was not, <laughs> he was not killed. Um, and his attempted assassin was arrested and put in prison. And John Paul II, after he was healed, decided to go visit the, the person who tried to kill him. And he visited with him in prison. And um, there are all these like iconic photographs of him talking to his assassin and forgiving him essentially. And that is deeply beautiful and deeply meaningful and the concept of forgiveness i think is like really outside the outside the box and for it to be weaponized in this way mm -hmm. to like force you to feel things that like to force you to feel shame about i mean it's it that it, it's just a perversion i think yeah like something like a like a porn addiction like what <laughs> Like, to make you think that it's a blight on your soul and you have to, like, 
seek help from a priest. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm not, I, I don't think guilt in itself is a bad thing. Like I don't think right. feeling guilty is necessarily like, oh, you should never feel guilty or you should avoid feeling guilty. I actually think guilt is probably a very helpful tool for understanding what your what your actions are and how they made you feel and how they made yeah. other feel and how you would like your actions to be. But mo- a good chunk of guilt is wrapped up in, in not in that and not in self-realization right. or like thinking through what you've done, but just wrapped up in cultural norms, in, in dictates from the church, um, if you're Catholic, <laughs> and what, what you're <laughs> supposed to have done without really an understanding of, necessarily without really an understanding of why that matters, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets into this, um, like doing things out of obligation, doing performing certain rituals, and it just becomes, um, uh, people can live incredibly superficial lives and absolve themselves um, through something like reconciliation. Um, and it's not, and it's not, becomes like not meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes me think of, um, this movie that I wanted to talk about on this, um, today. Um, it's a, it's a Czechoslovakian movie and, um, the English, the English title is Corpus Christi. And, uh, it was, I think made in 2019, Um, and it's about, it's the story of this, uh, guy who is in prison. Um, you don't know, uh, um, you don't know why he's in prison. Um, and he, there's a priest, a chaplain in the, in the prison at all times giving mass, I think daily probably. And, um, he is really close to the priest. You later find out, do we, okay, wait, do we give spoilers on this podcast? (laughs) That's a great question because we didn't the whole last season. Um, we'll do it for this one. I mean, none of this is probably like the newest thing we've talked about recently. So. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We, we haven't really talked about like contemporary <laughs> films. Um, well, spoiler alert. So pause now if you don't want to hear this, if you really want to watch Corpus Christi. Um, <laughs> I'll be giving spoilers sprinkled throughout. But anyway, uh, you find out that this boy, um, first of all, that he went to prison for killing someone. Um, He also was in a a sexual romantic relationship with the priest. Mm -hmm. And and so finally he gets out of prison and basically like the – that system like funnels these boys out of their juvenile detention center, funnels them into these factory jobs and they can't really, it's, it's sort of like dead end. Like even though they're out of prison, they can't really like begin their lives over. Um, they just automatically get shuttled to across the country to this factory, uh, for the, for work for the rest of their lives. So he ends up stealing the, uh, he ends up stealing the priest's collar, uh, and the shirt and pants. Um, and so, he impersonates this priest. He doesn't stop off at the factory. He doesn't, he, he, um, doesn't go and do this job. Instead, he pretends to be a priest and he, um, is in this community and he like meets the church rectress, the woman who's like running everything. And, um, 
he like Googles and memorizes how to say mass like in a night. And, um, and then he, uh, and then, and yeah, he like is really popular cause he's very young. He's like 18 or 19 years old and people see, see him as refreshing. And he also just like speaks off the cuff and he speaks freely and, um, out of his heart, uh, during sermons and people find it, find it really refreshing, um, because he has insight and he has this perspective after being incarcerated for like a year or two years. Um, and basically there's a whole other subplot where he's, um, um, in this town, there was like a, I think six teenagers were killed in a, in a car accident. The person who killed them was a drunk driver. The drunk driver was also killed, but there's a community memorial for the teenagers. But then, but then the person who killed them, the drunk driver, is uh, hated and treated with vitriol in the community. And um, specifically, all of that anger is transferred onto his wife, who is a widow. And so this um, impersonating priest, this boy, teaches the town about forgiveness and says, and like he really facilitates their grief and their mourning, and he talks a lot in his sermons about forgiveness and um why it's important to forgive people and why it doesn't really it like like this is what your faith teaches you Mm -hmm. um and so and then eventually like as he as it becomes more and more dangerous that he is gonna be found out um because people know about like the they know about the priest's or I think the like someone extorts the other priest to mm-hmm. like tell him blackmails him and like he they know about their like sexual romantic relationship, um, and he basically like says who among us is without sin kind of thing and like and and all this stuff. But then I think it, by the end of the movie, the the community really hates him for impersonating a priest and they can't forgive him. Mm-hmm. And it really um, it's really really interesting to like think about how this how like just how the structure of the church today um in contemporary times it it's really hard for people to incorporate forgiveness into their everyday lives even though there's a system designed for it yeah in fact it seems almost maybe not openly acknowledged but encouraged to exclude people and, yeah. and to do the opposite, and to shut people out um, without forgiveness, without mercy, which is a big Catholic thing too. Sorry. Um, I do. I do always love the um, priest, the the wayward priest, which I, I think is like, or the faux priest. Graham Greene has a couple of them in his books. Yeah. Books are not necessarily not problematic, but thinking about the power and the glory, like you have the <laughs> last priest in Mexico during like a time of communism yeah. running away yeah. from the communists and also sleeping with tons of people, drinking constantly, um, and not and feeling bad about it, I guess, feeling guilty. <laughs> like not that guilty um (laughs) it's always like a really um interesting exploration of actually what the church's role in a lot of people's Mm -hmm. lives is um when you do have this 
yeah, wayward, I guess a wayward priest is the way I term it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, the wayward priest. That's like the the fl- the f- flipped coin of the guilty priest. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's this uh, this whole. It really a lot of those stories really play with um, the I guess the hypocritical mm-hmm. nature nature of the church and. Um, there's sort of, well, I guess it's like gatekeeping. There's, um, and as the same with uh, the youth retreats, sort of like you can be forgiven, but only if you, like, only if you seek this kind of forgiveness in the right way. Right. You have to, only if you feel like your right. guilt. You really have to put right. it on display. This is again the performance in order to be forgiven. It, it can't be. Yeah internalized you know it has to be this public display and I don't want to talk too much about the show because I think we're going to talk about it on a different episode (laughs) (laughs) but I do really love the treatment of guilt in midnight mass in which yeah you have a central essentially the central character um grappling with guilt of what, of what he's done, of, of drunk driving and killing mm-hmm. someone, um, and being and being tortured by it, I guess. And but at the same <laughs> yeah. time, be kind of because of that, he has a very clear, much I would say, much clearer view of the world he lives in. In some ways, that he he really yeah, um, it keeps him on the outside, and therefore allows him to see a lot of um the things around him I guess (laughs) that other people aren't seeing or blind to yeah yeah wait you haven't finished midnight mass so I'm talking okay I really can't do spoilers (laughs) (laughs) but you I mean I kind of know because I I know to the part that I'm at actually what we've talked about already yeah, that was really yeah. unhelpful to tell um, you actually where I am in this show. I know to the part that I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> totally made sense. I know what I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because it, it really is all about the. Um, it really is all about the guilt. Uh, uh, like what it makes people, what it makes those characters do. Um, and, and also how it makes them blind, um, mm-hmm. to some things, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting that, that again, it's, well, it's, it's a manipulation tactic. It's this like drive toward, um, toward emotional, I don't know, emo- what would you even call it? Like a breaking point emotionally. Yeah. Where you yeah. just have these like mental mental breaks and it also creates a dependency you know like you are unable to forgive yourself you're unable to come to forgiveness outside of these mechanisms yeah i mean we talked yeah we talked about this but it's totally it makes you dependent upon the church or that culture yeah and to continue going and to continue like Mm -hmm. 
donating, mm-hmm. giving tithes or whatever. Uh, I'm not as familiar with like how how it plays into like larger Christian narratives though or like larger Christian uh, institutions I mean um, like the big like arena churches and yeah. and the Jesus camp and um, feeling guilt like how did they they amass wealth in in crazy ways yeah and, lots <laughs> and I'm not really sure money. how that happens yeah yeah uh, you know I I also don't know because it doesn't seem totally as built on on guilt but I do still think it's built on performing performing of like oh I gave money yeah. see like I'm I'm a good Christian um yeah yeah and uh, yeah I do think you know it's expensive it's expensive to be part of those churches sometimes um yeah yeah. Well, and I wonder, cause like I see, you know, well, okay. So, um, in the Catholic mass, the collection bin goes around before communion. Right. Um, and so I can see how that, I can see the, I can sort of trace the lineage in my head, uh, back to a time when in order to receive communion, you had to give money at the collection box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I can, I can surmise, I can guess that that was a thing that happened. But then also at these arena churches, I've never, I've never been to one, but I have seen, um, you know, I've seen enough media and they have, they do have collection boxes like at the front door. Do people yeah. have to pay to get in? Like, is that a thing? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, yeah. I, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, it might be a similar thing as passing around the collection boxes, but like people know that yeah. if you don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Or at least like your neighbor um, does. And it's like, what? Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, but then also, yeah. oh. No, go for it. Go ahead. Go for it. Go. Well, I was just going to talk about the missionary people. Uh, I was going to and... talk about Hillsong. So keep going. <laughs> Wait, what is Hillsong? Hillsong is this celebrity church. Actually, they just got in tons of trouble in the last few years oh. for having a multiple things. Hillsong started in Australia. They're this like mega corporation church and they started, they got very popular, I believe because of their music. So they put Mm. out all of this Christian music. The other day, Chris Pratt (laughs) made an Instagram post about this because he got backlash on another Instagram post and then he said he listened to his Hillsong Christian music playlist and I was like, Oh my god. I, um, <laughs> it's like product placement. I know. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like this celebrity church. Justin Bieber used to be a part of it. Um, and yeah, they've had tons of scandals. But w- one thing that brings people in is having these celebrities. The music is another venue for tons and tons of money. And, they, and a way to bring people in because they start listening to this music and then they start going um and it is fascinating because those the guy who found it it's incredibly wealthy now like incredibly incredibly wealthy yeah hmm. yeah it's a brand for sure mm-hmm. and um it's fully yeah and these are like all tied into like emotional psyops <laughs> cool celebrity pastors you know like they're like oh i'm hip yeah it's really awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, but... Yeah, and there's and there's so much. Do you, is there any um, like moments of like with the Hillsong Church? Like, are there any moments where they're like trying to regulate people's behavior based on this idea of like mercy? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I mean, I know that a lot of those churches, Hillsong and a number of them um, pretend to be, pretend to be very, very welcoming yeah. of everyone. So yeah, um, they put forward, they don't say it, but they put forward that like everyone is welcome. So the, well, they say that, but there's a lot of um, subtext that it's like, you know, all queer people are welcome. Like we're going to accept you no matter yeah. your, your gender or your sexuality. Like this is a safe space. Um, yeah. and then they end up actually being extremely homophobic, um, yeah. and, mm. and, or bigoted. So it's like, oh, uh, uh, like multiple in multiple of these types of churches, there's like queer people who join and you find community, but then they're not allowed to ever actually participate besides attending and giving money. Um, mm. hmm. so I guess that's not really mercy, but there is a lot of, um, again, performance, like it's all PR, like they want to look good, mm -hmm, they want mm -hmm. to have the audience, and from what I've read, a lot of the, the people who've attended similar churches are like, been asked, like, well, why do you think they do this, why don't they just say outright, you know, the mm -hmm. of the church, um, and it's because of the celebrities, that mm -hmm. celebrities would quit because it's a PR disaster, they would leave the church yeah. because it's a PR disaster because, and so they, they have this fake welcome text basically. Mm -hmm. Anyways, mm -hmm. That's not necessarily mercy, but um, it is this idea of um, being exclusionary, but pretending not to be. Um, and I guess yeah. there's, um, I guess there's some level of, uh oh well we'll like yeah come into our church join our church and there might be even there there might be expectations of like we'll convert you away at, like out of, we'll convert you out of your homosexuality yeah we'll um you know make sure that you are uh and and I'm sure that there's like shame a lot of shame involved oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there and like this manipulation, uh, another weaponization of the shame to be like, you've behaved this way for your whole life, but we're here to save you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, and using this like exclusion of like, well, you can't really participate unless you stop engaging in your behavior or something. I don't know. Um, right. Unless you, you know, feel bad about it, reform reforming quotes there uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, act like we want you to be like we yeah. want you to. Yeah. 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 And that is the really scary distorted. I think it's a perversion of this idea of forgiveness. I really do because mm -hmm. I believe in the, yeah, because I believe in, in like forgiveness as like a philosophical concept, <laughs> but um, man, um, 
should we do trad catholic corner yes because actually i think it's perfectly tied in to the idea of forgiveness and like a perversion that's actually what we're going to talk about today so so the uh social media phenomenon for trad catholic corner this week is a man called a boy boy man a man boy (laughs) named david ladding and who rose to fame on tiktok um as like a tiktok preacher and as did many people jesus talk is uh really highly trafficked um (laughs) there's a lot of tiktok preachers um but this boy in particular he was he was always really desperate sounding in all of his tiktoks yeah and um in most of them he was even crying visibly like crying about like being forgiven or something (laughs) (laughs) and um and because he was always so extra in his behavior he was people would duet him a lot like people would be really like (laughs) they would make fun of him they'd be making fun of him um and uh and so that's how he became more well known in the even in the non-christian um channels of tiktok um and there's one (laughs) in in some of the ones i do say i say desperate as like uh as a word that that sort of goes both ways he can be really desperate in like a sad way but he's also like really desperate in like a joyful way too sometimes like he can get really like just uh wild um (laughs) There's one video where he that was really iconic. It went it went viral pretty quickly, and in it went viral amongst like the non-Christian TikTok users, um, where he's stabbing a phone because okay. he's saying like, "This is your God," and like stabbing it, and he's just like trying to like conquer social. I don't know. I don't really know the point. I haven't seen the full. He was also we can get. I, I'll return to this in a minute, but he was also banned from TikTok, so I can't really like do the research of looking at his past videos to watch them all the way through. I'm just like piecing it together um, as clues from other people's like preservation. But anyway, he's like stabbing the phone and like making, doing some tirade against social media while also participating and being on social media. Um, And, uh, but then after that, he stabbed the phone and he looks crazy. He stabs it with a screwdriver and he like breaks the screen. Um, but after he made that, he also, um, he was like, he, <laughs> he made a second follow-up video where he's like showing, he's like waving this broken phone at the screen. And he's like, uh, he's like, this phone has been pierced through, but you know who else has been pierced through? No. <laughs> no. And he talks about Jesus being like pierced Stigmatic baby. <laughs> Side wound. Side um, wound. <laughs> Side wound Jesus. This just got really niche. <laughs> Jesus has wounds. That's all that needs to be said. Um to explain that. That's the only context needed. Uh but um yeah, so he talks about like Jesus being being pierced for us, all this stuff. And that's that's pierced for us. He got piercings. <laughs> got nipple piercings for us. <laughs> All the Christians have left. He got his podcast. ears pierced. Um. 
pierced for us. Um, but yeah, it's like he a lot of his videos he really harps on this idea of like Jesus died for you and like don't you like this man like gave up his life for you and he like gets really sad about it he cries about it a lot but then he also like by the I mean he, it's really manic these videos are really manic because then by the end he's like and that's great because you can like if you just follow Jesus then you're forgiven for that or something I don't know um and yeah but he was banned on TikTok for being um for being incredibly homophobic um and just saying that he was like spreading God's word and uh by saying that that all gay people go to hell basically um and so TikTok banned him and he is very active on Instagram and now he has this like whole fundraiser for his he was like I've been called to be a missionary fund my journey and so he like goes he he's essentially like Christian TED Talk Christian TED talking everywhere at these like retreats and stuff and he like gives these um yeah his focus he gives these talks his focus is on like uh you caused the death of Jesus repent kind of thing oh my god and he is he's like yeah he's a, a boy man like he is incredibly young yeah he's yeah yeah and incredibly over the top. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget the videos I've seen. Um, <laughs> but you know who's been pierced for you? Oh my God, Jesus has been pierced for you. I mean, there were just so many. Like everyone I watched, it got progressively weirder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Till he started talking about his Christian TikTok group, Christ House or something. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, right? well, yeah, because there's Hype House. Because there's yeah. TikTok. There's Hype House on TikTok in LA. Yeah. This is Christ. House. Oh my god, Christ House. They prayed the rain away from where they were. Oh my god. I was, I was like, it was, if it wasn't on TikTok, I don't believe it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me about it later. Mm-mm, didn't happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there is. I'm trying to draw this connection. We'll see if it works. Uh, <laughs> his like performance reminded me a lot of like pretty much any apology video I've ever seen from someone else uh-huh. who gets in trouble. And there is that mm. element in his stuff where he's like, he feels so bad and guilty and like he's begging for forgiveness from Christ where he's like crying. And it's just like this, mm-hmm. this over the top, like just performance of, of the emotion of guilt or, you know, the, the need for forgiveness. And it's so bullshit. Like it's just the most bullshit yeah. performance that you've ever seen. But it's required a lot of times of people who are making an apology, like a public apology yeah. to be visibly yeah. guilty in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, um, that's another harm that's done by this media performance of guilt is that then when you have like, um, to me now that you say that I'm having this thought where like that's what make cancel that's what makes cancel culture cancel culture and 
Um, and that's what makes it toxic. And whereas like any sort of, I think that what, what, um, the origins of cancel culture is this idea of like accountability Mm -hmm. and, um, naming problems for what they are and shedding light on problems. But now what it's become is, um, is this media circus around displays of guilt Mm -hmm. and, and like public apologies and which gets nobody anywhere. No, it gets no one nowhere. And, um, and that's the, that's the whole toxicity is this like, okay, well fine. I'm going to like repent and, um, and (laughs) yeah, like fine. I'm going to, I just had this, I, I had this thought about like Jesus being canceled, but he like wasn't canceled. It was like his own. That's like the whole thing. Cause like a lot of people, I think that a lot of people, um, uh, think about like Jesus as the one who was canceled Mm-hmm. And like, in some sense he was, but in other senses, like he also, I, I sound like a defender of Christ, but, um, he, he also like of his own accord. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he, he, <laughs> you know, that's like the whole point is that he was mm-hmm. anyway, that's interesting. Um, is that he's the one who like gave up his own life. But anyway, uh, that went <laughs> in a direction. Sorry. I'm just saying the Catholic Church no, invented I'm sorry. cancel culture. Is that, I think that's what we're all saying. Um. <laughs> Original sin, yeah, yeah, canceled. Oh, no, I think... The moment that you're born, yes, canceled. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you're canceled since you were born. Technically, reconciliation is a, is a sacrament. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a sacrament being like a true, like unmediated relationship with God or an unmediated meeting with God. And, um, and you make reconciliation first when you're seven, which is insane because it's like, Oh, cause you're preparing little for kids. your first communion. Basically. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, what little kids feel guilty. Anyway, like seven year olds are definitely lying about their sins because they <laughs> don't have them. Um, but uh, for my first reconciliation, um, uh, <laughs> we had to wear these, um, we had to make these things called sorry sacks. And, <laughs> and it was like these little like ponchos. And like oh they God. were on one side, like we had, they were the sorry sacks and we had puff paint. <laughs> And we had to, like, draw, like, I think on mine, I drew, like, clouds and, like, rain coming down. And it was, like, I am full of sin or something. Like, we had, like, a phrase what? that we everybody had to write on it. Like, I am, like, clothed in sin or something. <gasps> some, some weird shit like that. <laughs> yes, you are, you little seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then you would go to reconciliation, you would see the priest... And then the, I don't know, like, I, I can't, re- I don't remember, but, um, at some point you were coming out of the, the confessional and like, I guess my teacher, I don't know, someone helped me like t- take off the poncho and then I got to turn it inside out and it was f- full of like sunshine and like trees. And it was like, I am forgiven. And like, your sorry sack was like transformed. Oh my God. It, what? <laughs> 
insane. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I don't want to go on a tangent, but it does remind me of my eighth grade day of graduation. Uh, <laughs> and that's all I'll say. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm waiting for the story. No, <laughs> I will have to cut this because it has nothing to do with anything. But it was. Did you have to do dare? No, okay. I didn't. We had to do dare, um, and we had to perform a skit at our dare graduation <laughs> to turn around bright eyes. You know, you know that song. <laughs> like total eclipse. Yes, of the total heart. eclipse of the heart. Yes, that to that. <laughs> And there were, like, six of us that were lined in the back in, like, like an all, like, black t-shirt, black pants, with um, a, a little placard hanging around our necks of the different drugs we were. And we were, <laughs> we were all turned back. And then the main person would turn us around, and we'd be, like, partying, like, in a circle around her. I was only tobacco, which was... I thought incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> that is so boring. I was going to say, like, what, like, THC was one of them. Desperately like... trying to get cocaine, and they did not give it to me. Um, <laughs> anyway, the circle keeps getting tighter and tighter, and, like, she'll have, indiv- like, individuals try to help her out. Like, her friend tries to help her. Her parent tries to help her. Um, oh the teacher God. tries to help her get her out, and it's getting tighter and tighter, and she's no longer having fun. Uh <laughs> And then it doesn't work until everybody, including the dare cop, come in and get her out like oh together. My God. Anyways, sorry, just thinking about skits that you had to perform in which things were turned around and like flipped. <laughs> and that's what happened at the end. Like we flipped our placard over and like went back to the, oh yeah, back to the wall, turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit long. <laughs> <laughs> There's an eclipse tomorrow. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, I don't, it, it's, it's so, it's so weird. It's things like that that make me think, really, what is the point of school? <laughs> um, <laughs> we learned so much. Making oh. that <laughs> yeah. There. But yeah, it's it's really destructive. This, yeah. It's it's incredible. I can't believe you would tell as a seven year old that you're like a full full of sin. Like clothed in sin. But see a priest and then you'll be fine. Yeah, and then you're good. Sunshine and rainbows. All all done. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um I guess that's a good stopping point. Yes, we have much more to talk about next time but we'll end with the guilt now (laughs) end with the guilt end with being full of sin Mm -hmm. that's the way I like it (laughs) (laughs) oh no I just went to a bad place um okay well maybe we should just get Get out of here bye (laughs) bye